0: Are you ready? Ready. Hi, I'm Leo Fanelli, and you're listening to Generation Change. So this month, we've got an amazing guest here who rose up from a traumatic experience to advocate for others. Chessie Prout is an author, activist, and high school sexual assault survivor. In 2018, she published her memoir, I Have the Right To, a high school survivor's story of sexual assault, justice, and hope, and co founded the national nonprofit called I Have the Right To with the goal to support survivors of sexual violence all over the world. I had a fascinating conversation with Jessie about her journey as a survivor, how this journey inspired her activism, and about her plans for the future. I wanna let you know that we talk about some really intense and sensitive subjects in this episode, so please be advised.
1: Hello. Hi, Leo, it's so nice to meet you. Can you hear me?
0: Yes, I can hear you, I'm just nervous.
1: Great, oh, that's okay, me too.
0: (laughs) Okay, so let's get down to the questions, shall we? First, just tell me about the I Have the Right To organization.
1: I co-founded the Eye of the Right To organization with my mom and dad in 2018 when I published the book. We really started the organization to kind of give guidance, the guidance that wasn't able to get um, when I was going through my own criminal case and going through my own process of coming forward as a survivor. So we wanted other families to have more information to know what they're going to expect going through the process and how they can be most supportive to other survivors while they're going through the process too.
0: How did you come up with the, I have the right to slogan?
1: Well, that phrase kind of just popped up out of nowhere. So my little sister and I were watching a docu-series on the civil rights movement and my mom just paused it and she was watching with us and she asked me and my little sister, you know, what rights do you have as women in America? Like, how do you view your rights as a person in the United States? I, something kind of snapped in my mind. And I just said to my mom, I have the right to, you know, say no and be heard. And I had the right to have autonomy over my body to not be sexually assaulted. And that kind of spurred the whole idea of starting a list of what I felt like I had the right to that was taken away from me um, through my sexual assault.
0: How did writing your book help your healing process?
1: It was really interesting to have to go back and look at You know, the traumas in my life from when I was a little kid, one of the biggest traumas in my life was the earthquake in Japan. I was in sixth grade and we had to leave Japan after the Tohoku earthquake in 2011. And I had grown up there my whole life. So I was born in the U.S., moved to Japan when I was six months old. And then at 11 years old, I moved to the United States for the first time. And that was extremely difficult and so going back into that point in time in my life when i was so lost as a 12 year old you know not knowing how to fit in how to be a normal kid it was interesting to get to go back to that time in my life and it made me realize how much that impacted my decision i think to be able to come forward in the future after my second big trauma which was the sexual assault i think being transplanted from my home that the only home that i really knew helped me kind of realize that my family was always going to be there for me, no matter what happened. And so I knew that even though this terrible thing had happened to me, my family would be there for me to help me pick up the pieces afterwards.
0: So I know you are or were an ambassador for PAVE. What was that like?
1: It was pretty amazing to have a group of people come to support me and help me move forward in my survivorship. So Angela Rose helped me find my voice along with the different PAVE ambassadors, um, Delaney Henderson. She accompanied me to New York when I filmed my Today Show interview for the first time. They really were the people who came before me. So Delaney had come forward before and had told her story publicly in um, the documentary, Audrey and Daisy. And Angela had come forward many years before when she was a teenager after her abduction and assault. So having these two strong women to you know teach me the ropes and help me kind of learn what to expect coming forward as a public survivor was really helpful. Through PAVE, I was able to go back into the classroom and to provide consent education workshops, which I wish they had done at my schools because it's such a necessary kind of thing to do. Every kid should know what consent is from like the moment they can speak. Since then, my mom and dad and I have consolidated and we started our I Have the Right to organization, um, which PAVE helped get off the ground I'm just so grateful for the work that they do and the work that a lot of organizations do around the world.
0: Although the book didn't, the actual event of your assault, your experience, happened before the great sexism reckoning of 2017. What were you thinking when these stories were almost in the paper every day back in the end of 2017?
1: I know it was only three years um, after my assault my first reaction was finally, finally the public cares about the issue of sexual assault. This is a crime that not only affects the victim themselves, but also their family, their community at large. And to finally have it gain some of the recognition and some of the care that it deserves was amazing and I felt like I could finally like exhale for a little bit but also hearing all of the stories of the different women and men who had experienced what I had experienced made me feel really helpless too because now I knew the depth of this issue and how it affected so many people and I felt even more helpless like I couldn't help anybody else um, and the pain that they were feeling. One thing that was really frustrating when all of when the Me Too movement blew up and you know people marched for the women's march, it was frustrating for me to see some of the people who had, you know, ostracized me and bullied me when I came forward with my story of sexual assault um, participate in these marches. And it made me super angry to see that because I truly believe if you're not doing the action, the legwork in your real life. None of the, the big shows and the social media posts matter unless you're translating that to your real life and your real community. It was a good reminder, though, for me to always, always, always look inward before I post anything or join any social movement. I always have to make sure that I'm truly walking the walk in my life. And I, of course, I'm not a perfect person, but I want to try my best to be able to do that. We'll be right back. How
0: do you think the media could portray violence against women more honestly?
1: Well, I think that really begins with people, the people involved in telling the stories. They need to have more women in the rooms where these stories are being produced, either in the newsroom or on TV shows or in movies, more people who have actually experienced these sort of instances of violence should be involved in the telling of these stories.
0: Aside from sex crimes and harassment, how else have you noticed the marginalization of women in society?
1: I mean, I I went to some pretty great schools growing up, but I still noticed the marginalization of women in the classroom a lot and it happened you know between me and my close friends my close friends who were boys who would you know kind of bulldoze over me if i'm trying to make a point in class and
0: you know ever wait a minute if they were bulldozing over you then why were they your close friends
1: i know that's that's part of the issue i was internalizing some of that patriarchal you know toxic masculinity within myself to believe that that's okay um, but eventually i learned to stand up for myself in the classroom and tried to speak up and with the help of teachers, you know, but that was high school around four, four years ago now. And currently I'm at an all women's college and that dynamic in the classroom is a whole lot different than any other co-ed, you know, place that I've been in. It's really great to see women's issues and women's voices centered and spotlighted in the classroom, not only through you know, the literature that we read or the, the topics that we focus on, but also through the voices of my classmates.
0: What are some ways we can work to dismantle a culture that normalizes the physical and psychological oppression of women?
1: I think a great start would be normalizing saying no, uh, women saying no. And Not being laughed at or ridiculed or teased for standing up for themselves, not being told that when they show confidence or independence or power, that it's cute or um, bossy or other bad, bad terms um, that men aren't usually called. But I really think a lot of this change has to happen in the classroom too. I think the way that different histories are taught, it's important to include the women who have really forged the way in, in history. And a lot of high school curriculums don't include the stories of women. I think one of the biggest things too should be the inclusion of consent education in middle high school kindergartens. Um, from when a kid's as young as like three, the second they're born, they should be able to learn that you know, you have the right to your body and that nobody can make you feel uncomfortable or you are not. You shouldn't be forced to sit on somebody's lap. You shouldn't be forced to give somebody a hug. They, the kids should always gain autonomy over their bodies and know that they have the right to their bodies and should never be coerced or forced into a physical interaction that they don't want to be a part of.
0: One thing that I've been increasingly noticing that I don't think we're talking about enough is that society is kind of laying down rules for girls on how to break stereotypes as well, kind of promoting the idea that in order to like be a strong woman, you have to be an astronaut or a doctor or Kamala Harris. What I really think more people should kind of be aware of is it's not anti-feminist to go with something more traditional or kind of behave in more traditional ways. As long as you're doing it because you want to do it and not because society is telling you to do it, it's like in love or independent, strong or sensitive. Sometimes it feels like as far as the media talks, it's impossible to be both.
1: That's very true.
0: But you are both because I think that part of the reason you are so strong is because you are so sensitive.
1: That's why in the book I fought to keep in bits and pieces um, or the story basically about my journey through mental health struggles um, with depression, suicidal ideations, and anxiety. I thought it was really important because I, as a survivor and as a victim of sexual assault, I was able to Get a conviction and see a trial, which not many survivors ever are able to see because the system is so rigged against us. And that I was able to do that, even with my mental health struggles and with all of these things that I'd been dealing with before, I thought was important to point out because it shows you can be strong, but you can still struggle with feelings of depression and feelings of sadness and that really it's through the vulnerabilities that you show, through the feelings of letting yourself feel sad is how you find your strength.
0: Let's take a short break. I heard you talking about how you, most survivors are unable to get a trial because the system is rigged against them. Are you also conscious that the system is also rigged in your favor in the sense that you are white?
1: Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. I think that absolutely influenced the way that I was able to receive justice. Uh, Not only that, but also because of my socioeconomic status, I was coming from a big elite boarding school that, you know, people love seeing scandals. Um, love reading about scandals at these elitist places and so it got media attention because I you know was part of this affluent community and I think it's extremely unfair so I hope to work in the future to help elevate the different voices of survivors who didn't don't have the kind of resources that I have and that's what I have the right to is trying to be is trying to be a resource for people who don't have the access and don't have the privileges that I was able to have.
0: What guidance would you give to survivors who want to be open with their stories?
1: I would say use the tools that you have available to you, whether that be writing or art, music, and also the tools available to you like guidance counselors and your friends and your family to be able to tell your story in a safe space. I think it's really, really powerful when the world is faced with the individualized stories of different people because statistics you know, are there and they are shocking, but it's really when you hear the voice of a survivor or talk to a survivor in your community that you really realize how much of a problem this is and how much it needs to be fought.
0: How do you plan on continuing to amplify your activism and your voice in the future?
1: I've been really lucky so far to be able to have met so many different advocates and groups who support women, um, in so many different ways, not just survivors, but also women in general to succeed in the world. And it was really exciting this past year. I was involved in a book that was published by Vital Voices. And it is incredible. It includes 100 different women using their power to empower. And I Still can't believe that I am was included as a part of those hundred, which include the Youth Poet Laureate Amanda Gorman, Hillary Clinton, so many women who have done such incredible things. So, I hope to, you know, sometime in the future be able to partner with these amazing women to do things that will help support survivors in every aspect of life, not just in survivorship, but also in succeeding past survivorship and doing the things that they're passionate about and living a happy and fulfilling life. I'm really interested in in writing fictional screenplays too and fiction narratives for movies and, you know, telling hard stories through film and also through humor too because you know you've got to find laughter
0: where my truest thoughts come out is when i write fiction stories screenplays
1: i was just going to say i think we have that in common
0: what can we do to combat sexism and violence against women in our own communities
1: I think one of the main things that we can do is start small, realize what we do ourselves to uphold certain systems that oppress women. And then we can start with our communities, too, and start talking to our friends, talking to family members who may hold different views than us, and talk to them about why we believe that women should have equal rights to men, because we still don't in the United States We are not equal under the law, which is very frustrating.
0: Really, these are things that affect all of us and take all of us to end.
1: Yeah. And that's why I think it's really important to hear the individual stories, not just the ones that get the most likes or the ones who are on television like mine. Um, I think it's important that we seek out these stories in our neighborhoods and our schools and for people who have stories to tell to tell them because it really shows like, this isn't just, you know, a, a poppy, you know, social This this affects people's real lives. And I think it's always easy to forget that these are real people with real lives.
0: Perhaps the reason it was so hard to view these social justice causes for what they really were and not simply because it's what's popular is because empathy has always been so hard for me, but I really got better at it during the past year.
1: That's amazing.
0: Look, because I have autism. Like what many people can figure out within their first few years of life, I'm still trying to figure out.
1: I admire what you do with this podcast because I have things that were handed in life aren't always perfect. They're not always happy, but we can always do something with it.
0: Opening up my own world with this podcast and listening to different experiences, I really care. I, I really want to do what I can to help people who may not have a voice otherwise have it.
1: You know, since the Me Too movement, it has become popular to like be socially active and stuff like that. I think The moment of power comes when you really realize that you care and that you have a stake in these issues too. um, And because you want other people to have a better quality of life in general.
0: I've always said that if you want to advocate for social justice of any kind, first, you got to make sure that you are a kind and caring person.
1: That's a mature journey. And, um, I think it's an, it's an amazing outlook to have on life to move forward. Well, you inspire me so much. Thank you so much, Leo. And you inspire me too, with your courage to do this podcast, but I don't think,
0: I I don't think I could ever be as brave
1: as you have been. You don't know the strength that you have until you're forced to use it. So remember that (laughs) I didn't think I could do it either, but I'm here today and I'm very happy that I'm still here.
0: Thank you so much for being here. I loved having you.
1: It was incredible. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Thank you so much, Leo. Bye.
0: That was incredible. Chessie is a courageous soul driven by purpose and passion. She's immensely conscious about the biases and narratives that shape her experiences. And she's unapologetically open about the challenges she's faced. Chessie also reminded me that burying our pain inside of us just makes it more painful. Taking action, as she did, can be an impactful way of healing. And like Chessie says, action can start with just listening to people's stories. So listen and use what you hear to fuel the change we need. You can follow Chessie's nonprofit on Facebook. Just look for I Have the Right To on Instagram at I Have the Right To underscore and learn more at I have the right to dot org. You can also follow Chessie on Twitter at Chessie underscore Prout, and please check out Chessy's book I have the right to, a high school survivor's story of sexual assault, justice and hope. If you'd like to recommend someone you know who is trying to make a difference to be on the show, or if you are someone trying to make a difference and you would like to be on the show, email us at leofanelli.com. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at genchangewithlf. That's at genchangewithlf. Subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts and just... Share this with your friends and others. Generation Change with Leo Finelli is hosted by me, Leo Finelli, and produced and edited by Julie and Nick Finelli. Our original music was composed and performed by me, Leo Finelli. Thank you so much for listening.